So our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 5, uh, the first 11 verses. And uh, if you're using the Black Bible that's provided there, it's on page 1022. And I think that this is part of one of my favorite episodes in the life of Simon Peter. And I say part of one of the episodes because uh, it's really, uh, it doesn't end, this teaching of this moment won't end or won't be finished until John 21, after the resurrection of Jesus, when Peter and other disciples experience a second miraculous catch of fish. I know some, some scholars look at those two uh, here at the beginning of Luke and there at the end of John and see, see so many similarities that they wonder if it's not just the same story, just kind of retold uh, in a different perspective or for a different purpose by the, the writers of the accounts of the gospel. But even while there are many similarities, I think there are enough differences that we can see that they are two different events in the life of Jesus or more, uh, maybe more poignantly for us in the life of Simon Peter. Uh, we see here at the beginning uh, his response and reaction to the, what the miraculous catch reveals. And then we'll see in John 21 uh, his reaction and response to what that miraculous catch reveals. But here we are in this passage in, uh, in Luke chapter 5. So if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the Word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little, a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land... They left everything and followed him. The grass withers and the flowers fade, and yet the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated.
All right, so just first some geographic background before we get into the passage itself. Uh, the Sea of Galilee, Lake Gennesaret, the Lake or Sea of Tiberias. Uh, when you read of any of these in Scripture, they are all referring to the exact same body of water. So Lake Gennesaret and the Sea of Galilee and Lake Tiberias, these are all the same body of water. It's a freshwater lake. Um, it's down. Uh, it's surrounded by hills and mountains, uh, probably hills more than mountains. Uh, and really, from almost every hill on every side, you can see the whole lake. It's not very big. From east to west at its widest, it's about eight miles wide. From north to south at its longest, it's about 13 miles long. Uh, it's about 33 miles to run around it. So if you ran a marathon, you wouldn't quite make it. If you ran three half marathons, you'd pass your starting point a little bit. So that gives you sort of an idea, a little fun fact. It's the lowest freshwater lake in the world. So uh, it's well below sea level, uh, and yet it's a freshwater lake. Actually, it's the second lowest body of water, period. So it's lower than most bodies of water. The only one lower is a few miles to the south, the Dead Sea, which is very salty. So, so this is uh, this lake, uh, the Sea of Galilee. It's still, even still today, uh, known for uh, fishing, both uh, commercial and uh, recreational. Uh, they uncovered in Capernaum a uh, like what looks like a, a first-century uh, kind of seawall. It's about 2,500 feet long in Capernaum. It's about eight feet wide, and there were piers that extended off of that seawall about 100 feet into the lake uh, where they would dock many uh, fishing boats. And so uh, Peter and Andrew's family were partners with James and John's family in a fishing business. And so James and John called the sons of Zebedee, uh, Simon and Andrew. I'm going to go back and forth between calling him Simon and Peter. Simon is the man Peter. Jesus renames him Peter when he meets him in John 1. But so uh, Simon and Andrew's family, I guess you could call them the sons of Jonah or the sons of John. Uh, Simon's dad's name was John or Jonah. So, you know, as fishing uh, you know, so then you can come up with all kinds of great fishing names for that partnership. You know, Jonah and the Great Fish, or uh, Jonah and Zebedee, uh, the Great Fish Ermen. Uh, so all kinds of things you can do with that, which they probably did. They probably weren't uh, shy of making use of those kinds of things. But uh, interestingly, Luke doesn't focus on many of the details that we want him to focus on. Uh, but he does throw in so many details that you realize I, we should probably focus on those. I mean, it, when, when an account like this comes and, and there are details included, we should see what those details are because there's plenty of things that we wonder about that we're not really told. So uh, Jesus is 
continuing his teaching. He is uh, being followed by crowds of people. As he's being followed, it seems, it seems as though he's got a pretty intentional place that he's heading. He takes them down. The crowds are pressing in. He gets closer and closer to the shore. And, oh, look, he just happens to be on the beach where two, uh, two fishing boats have been beached. Uh, so these are, these are kind of professional fishing boats. They've found some like this. They're about uh, 28 to 30 feet long, and they're about seven or eight feet wide. So they're very uh, kind of very stable, especially important in the Sea of Galilee where storms can rush down from those mountains at any moment. So these two boats are, uh, are beached right now. The fishermen are on the shore and they're cleaning their nets after fishing all night. And so uh, Jesus heads over there. The crowds are pressing in around him. And so then this brings us to the outline where we have requests and we have the uh, repayments and then we have the responses. Uh, so the requests from Jesus come in verses 1 to 5. The repayment or the reimbursement comes in verses 6 and 7. And then the responses to it all in verses 8 through 11. So first we look at these requests. And Jesus makes two pretty bold requests, doesn't he? Of Simon. Uh, one of them just sort of presumes upon their friendship. And then the other one is an even larger breach of etiquette. He presumes to tell Simon how to do his job. But first, you know, the crowds are gathering, they're pressing in, and Jesus comes down to the shore and he steps into Simon's boat. And he asks Simon, hey, would you put your boat out into the water a little bit for me so I can teach from it? And so this accomplishes three things. One, uh, it puts a nice barrier between Jesus and the crowd who keep, seem to be pressing in on him. No one's going to press in if he's got 10 feet of water between him and them. So that's pretty smart. Second, you know, the, uh, the acoustics at a lake. Uh, he could sit in that boat now and speak, and people would be able to hear him very well. I don't know if you've know, noticed if you're ever at a, at a lake, and like you see a boat going by, and you can hear the motor, but then you can also hear the people shouting because they're right next to the motor, and they forget that you can hear everything they're saying uh, and pretty clearly, too. There have been some pretty interesting times that I've been at a lake, and you hear people out there shouting, and sometimes they're shouting about you. They're like, hey, look at that guy on the shore. Isn't he an idiot? And you're like, what the heck? And they don't realize how well it carries. But Jesus, when they knew. So they knew, like, they're at shore. You could speak, and the hills would, would reverberate, and you could, wouldn't have to shout. The third thing, though, I think that's probably significant is now... Simon is a captive audience. Like he's got, he's got Simon and at least one of Simon's partners, probably Andrew, I don't know, there in the boat with him. And so he's like, I don't know, what, like what were they doing? They were trying to be like inconspicuous. It's like when, you know, when someone's making a video and you realize you're in the background of it and you're like, uh, do I look at the camera? What do I do? I'm going to pretend I'm doing something really... What were they doing? Did they mend their nets some more? Did they just sit and listen? I don't know. Now, we have to remember, or maybe realize, maybe not remember, that Jesus and Simon 
already have a relationship. Because otherwise, this is weird. Okay, so remember, Jesus and Simon know each other. So when you look at John 1, verses 42 to 44, or 40 to 42, uh, you see that when Jesus is near John the Baptist during his ministry, Andrew comes and meets Jesus, goes and finds Simon, his brother, and says to him, we've found the Messiah. So Simon knows that at least there's an expectation that Jesus is somebody. And Simon has been listening to him. Simon has been following him, maybe not in a full-time capacity, but as he can. Uh, We also saw last week or two weeks ago, yeah, last week, that uh, Simon Simon had Jesus over for dinner uh, on Sabbath day after worship. They, he had him come over uh, for dinner, and, and Jesus healed his mother-in-law. So there's a, there's a relationship between Simon and Jesus. They are friends, and that makes sense because this is the exact kind of thing that friends do, isn't it? Like friends impose. I mean, that's how you know your friends. Like when you can call someone and say, hey, could you pick me up and take me to Dulles at four in the morning? I mean, those are the times that you're like, I wish we weren't friends. You text back, new phone, who dis? You know, you're, there's like, but when you're friends, it's not even an imposition. In fact, like when friends are like, I'm really sorry to do this, the response is always the same. It's not a problem. I don't mind. I, I'm glad to do this for you. It, it, this is what friends do. I mean, Jesus getting into Simon's boat and saying, hey, put off to, sh-. you know, I know you've been fishing all night. I know you're tired. I know you just want to get home and get to bed so you can get up and do it all again tomorrow night. Or tonight, really. But hey, before you do that, would you mind sitting through a sermon? I know you're tired. It'll be all right. And, and so it's just, but there's a relationship already that's developing. Now, that's, it's one thing, though, to, be, to impose on a friend. It's another thing to presume to tell your friend how to do their work. You know, it'd be another thing on the way that to Dulles that your friend then also starts telling you all the ways you could be doing your job better. Then you'd be like, hey, uh, I'm about to drop you off right here on 66, so why don't we just calm this down? Jesus, this second request is a little odd. The, the, day, the, the teaching is over, the crowds are scattering. Jesus, you know, he's, you know, he hasn't been up all night. He says, hey, why don't, we, why don't you put out a little deeper and let's, uh, let's go for a catch. He doesn't even say, let's try some fishing. He says, put your debts down for a catch. I wonder if Simon even caught that. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting. You know, I imagine Simon's thinking, hey, the, the sermon's over, Jesus. I mean, what happened to, oh, I have to go to another town. There are other people I need to preach to. I mean, you don't have to go to another town, but you can't stay here. I mean, we're exhausted. We're tired. We're gonna. It's uh, also it's the middle of the day. Uh, it's a bad idea 
The nets have just been cleaned. Now we're going to fish in the middle of the day when the sun is out, when it is the worst possible time to try to fish with nets in a clear lake because all the fish can see the net through the sun and fish are very inactive during the day. That's why they fish all night. What is Jesus doing here? I think besides setting the stage for Simon to gain a better understanding of who he is, I think at one level he's just repaying Simon. I mean, he asked him if he could borrow his boat. This is sort of like a a tip. Thanks for your troubles. Let me buy you a cup of coffee. He's like, here, let me... Let me give you something for your troubles. I love Simon's response. It is essentially, hey, how about this? I won't tell you how to preach or cast out demons, and you don't tell me how to fish. People look at this and they think, oh, it's a statement of faith. It's him, you know, he's, he doesn't understand, but he's at least believing. It's like, I don't, I don't see that. I don't see it. He says, master, which is essentially boss. He's like, look, boss. We have been toiling all night and caught nothing. But, you know, you're new. Obviously, you're not a fisherman, so I'm about to school you on how much of not a fisherman you are. Because you're asking, we're going to do this. Come on, let's go. We're going to, you've asked, no, no, you've asked, so we're, we're doing it. I'm going to, I'm going to drop these nets because you asked us to, and you're going to see that I was right. Obviously not the point of the sermon, but can I ask you, have you ever obeyed Jesus that way? Jesus is telling you to do something, you know, it's pretty clear, Scripture's clear, everything's clear, and you're like, it's not going to work, and I'll prove it. I'm going to do what you're telling me to do, and you're going to see that it doesn't work. Which is interesting because usually it's things like, hey, be kind to someone, be tenderhearted, be forgiving, which is always interesting when you're kind of like, I'm going to forgive this person so you can see how bad an idea that is. Yeah, because that's probably not forgiveness. But we do this in the ways that we follow Jesus. We're like, all right, I'm going to obey you, but really just so I can prove to you that I shouldn't have obeyed you. That's, that's basically Simon's attitude. Which brings us to the repayment in verses 6 and seven, this, it's insane. And that's why I use repayment, because is there, is there possibly a worse description of what happens? Like this is, he sat in his boat for a couple hours, and this is what he thinks is owed to Peter for sitting, maybe a fish. Jesus repays Simon for the use of his boat, everything about it is supposed to be over the top. It's beyond reimbursement. It's beyond overwhelming. The nets begin to break. They need the other boat to come out quickly. Had the other boat already headed out into the lake? I don't know. Maybe they thought, hey, they've taken Jesus with them. We're going back to the pier. Finally, we can go to sleep. And then they look over and they're throwing the nets in the water. Like, what is Simon doing? And then they're like calling them over, and the nets are ripping. And they, from one net, they fill two boats so full that the boats are being weighed down or on the verge of sinking. 
Have you ever looked at this passage and thought about the extravagant, over-the-top kindness of God? Like, nothing in this situation is owed to Simon. This is how kind God is. And I know that there's truth for us to consider in other passages about uh, the cost of following Jesus and that, that we need to be willing to sacrifice everything and, and love God and others more than we love ourselves. But listen, this passage is proving you will never outlove God. You will never outgive to God. God's blessings will always be extravagantly more than whatever he's asking from you. I love the song, the old hymn that we sing regularly about the blessings that we have from God in the third verse. Pardon for sin and a peace that endures. God's own presence to cheer and to guide. Strength for today, hope for the future. All of these blessings, all mine and 10,000 beside. The blessings of belonging to God, they far outnumber any cost that it might require. In Romans 11, Paul breaks out into song. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he should be repaid? No, from him Through him, to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. What do you do in those rare moments that your eyes are open and you come face to face with the overwhelming life changing, undeserved, net-bursting, boat-swamping goodness of God. If you are anything like Simon, you fall on your knees in repentance. In the responses, we see Simon's response, Jesus' response, and then all of the men's responses. Simon falls down on his knees in the boat. Think about this. 28 feet, 8 feet wide. So full of fish that it's sinking. What did Simon fall on his knees in? A pile of fish. When you, when you get even a taste of the goodness of God, like nothing will keep you from wanting to worship Him. Like there's nothing that you'll feel like, oh, that's a little embarrassing. Oh, that's... Simon falls at the knees of Jesus. 
You know, Jesus is still sitting on his seat at that plate, probably the, the front of the boat. And Simon falls at his knees. The beauty of it is that uh, almost all of the gospel writers, they do these things with stories especially about Simon, where like when they're wanting you to see his doltishness, they'll talk about him, they'll talk about him as Simon. But when you want, they want you to see glimpses of faith, then he's either Simon Peter or Peter. All throughout this passage, he's Simon, Simon, Simon. And then Simon Peter falls at the knees of Jesus and says, go away from me. I am a sinful man, O Lord. In verse 5, he calls him master or boss, and it's sort of sarcastic. It's a little cynical. Okay, boss, whatever you say. But here, there's no sarcasm. He calls him Lord, Kyrios, Kyrie, Lord. It could just be a respectful title, meaning sir, but it is the very word that translates Lord of the Old Testament into the Greek Old Testament, Kyrios. It's also a word that has been used 30 times in the first four chapters of Luke to refer to God, Lord God, or Lord of the law, the law of the Lord, the Lord, all of these 30 times. Do you think maybe Luke is tuning our ears so that when we hear Jesus, even if in passing it was a sir-type title, we hear Lord Jesus is Lord. Simon says, depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord. As John Calvin famously said, no man can fully know himself until he comes to know God. When you come face to face with God, His holiness, His righteousness his goodness, his kindness. You are immediately struck with your own sinfulness. You know, here is Simon in the midst of like his, like this is his, this is his thing. He's a fisherman. And exposed to the kindness and goodness of God, he recognizes his sin. That's why we used Isaiah 6 for the call to worship. Here's Isaiah, a, a trained and gifted orator. Like, his job is to speak for God. And when he comes face to face with God, he says, Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. Even the good things you've given me, God, aren't clean in your presence. Here's Simon, the 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 greatest catch he's ever had. And please don't misunderstand that it's just some, some freak coincidence that the miracle is that Jesus just happened to have them put the nets down in the right place at the right time and a school of fish came. Everything about the situation is miraculous, is God-controlled.
Simon is on his knees in front of Jesus because he knows, I do not deserve this extravagant goodness. I cannot stand in the presence of overwhelming kindness. Because that's all that it is. There's nothing about that catch of fish that is anything other than just kind. And so Jesus responds. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Isaiah 43. Fear not, Israel. I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One, your Savior. The one who can stand toe-to-toe with Satan, see through his lies and refuse temptations, lures. The one who can drive out demons and fevers with a word. The one who can heal the broken with a touch. This one is good and kind and generous to his own, and he chooses to use the likes of weak and doubting and shifting and fickle and sinful men and women to build his kingdom and to spread his goodness. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. Not because they've got it all figured out, but because Jesus chose them. And all four of these fishermen respond. When they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This isn't just some decent teacher that they'll listen to every once in a while. This is life-changing, life-altering. We will follow him. We will turn from everything. Will you? Will you let the light and the glory and the holiness of the Lord shine on and expose your sinful heart? And will you fall at his knees, not run away, not justify, not write it off, not excuse it? Look, Jesus, I I didn't really doubt you. I was just tired. I was working all night. And if you wanted to bless me, you could have blessed me during the hours that I was working, why do you wait so long? Why do I always have to be so tired? I feel like this is mostly your fault, Jesus. Do you just fall on your knees and say, I'm a sinful man. I'm a sinful woman. Do you see your sin, but then see the kindness and goodness and mercy of the Lord who came to heal and forgive and restore? The one who's whose blessings of you will always outnumber anything he's asking of you. Will you receive his overwhelming, net-rending, ship-swamping kindness and follow him no matter what? Let's pray. Jesus, we're so thankful. You're incredibly good to us. Without those words, don't be afraid. What else would there be but fear? Because your goodness is perfect and holy. 
And yet you are our Savior. You are our Lord. Help us to worship you and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.